I love this time of year. I love Christmas, obviously. We uh, talked about that during the Christmas season. I love the, the idea that we focus so much on the birth of Christ and all that that means for our lives. But I love the idea of New Year's because our world seems to understand that all of us at some time or another need a reset button. We need a moment to kind of stop and pause and reflect on what has been and then look to what we could be. That we all have this moment when it, the calendar turns and symbolically the world is fresh and new and different. I saw this illustrated in kind of a strange place, but um, growing up, I loved the Sunday paper because it had comics in it. Lots of comics, right? One of my favorites was Calvin and Hobbes. How many of you know Calvin and Hobbes? How many of you don't have a clue what Calvin and Hobbes is? You are unprivileged people. All right. So Calvin and Hobbes is a story of a little boy and his imaginary tiger friend Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes. And this is a... A cartoon I saw this week from 1995. And it says, wow, it really snowed last night. Isn't it wonderful? Everything familiar has disappeared. The world looks brand new. And Calvin says, a new year. A fresh, clean start. It's like having a big white sheet of paper to draw on a day full of possibilities. It's a magical world, Hobbes, old buddy. Let's go exploring. And I love the simplicity of the idea that you wake up on January 1st and whatever is in the past is in the past and you can move forward into a new adventure exploring what is life has in store for you. I love this time of year. The possibility, the hope, the planning, the resolutions, the full gyms and lack of carbs. Because there's this thing within us that has this idea that we could be better. We could do more. We could have a more fulfilled life. It's rare that you get to New Year's Eve and you're talking to someone and you just have a conversation. And you say, man, what, what, do, what do you hope the new year brings? And somebody says, oh, it couldn't get any better than it's already been. And people say, man, it was a great year, but I really wish this could happen. And there's this word that comes up when people are are talking about the future and talking about the possibility of what it is. And it's a simple two-letter word that has great potential for change. Anybody want to guess what the word is? No, no, because you haven't been paying attention. That's all right. It's if. A simple word, if. Do you realize that the word if is in the Bible over 1,700 times? Over 1,700 times in the Bible, the word if is used. And when it is used, almost always it means that there is a choice laid before someone. That there is a possibility for something new. It's almost like the Bible is a full-grown version of the choose-your-own-adventure books. 1,700 times in 66 books, someone says, if. The possibilities are out there. The decisions are yours. If you make this decision, if you go that way, if you will. 
Sometimes it's one human being to another. If you choose this way, this will happen. If you choose that, it won't. Sometimes it's through a prophet that God speaks and says, if my people. And sometimes it's directly from God the Father himself when he says to his people, if you choose. Over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the question of if, the reality of if, and some decisions that can be made in our lives as we move forward and how we handle them. Because I believe that your life, my life, that 2016 is a year full of potential if. And the way we're going to do that is starting next week, so it's not starting today, so don't turn there, but starting next week, we're going to look at a chapter in Romans that is the ultimate if chapter. It's got several ifs in it, and it is a reminder to us of how important that word is and the decisions we make following Christ are. But today, I want to reset button a little bit with the church. And here's what I want to do. I want to ask the question of if with us as a Church. Now, if you're here and you're a guest, you're going to hear some information about family kind of business of what we've been through in the last year and some things that God has done and we're proud of and we're excited about. So it's a good day for you to be here as we talk about the future and what's happening. If you're here and you've uh, been visiting for a while and you're not uh, you're not committed to the church yet, you haven't joined the church yet, you're going to hear some good things about what God has been doing and, and what's happening in the in the future. If you're here in your family, you've been a part, I think it's a time for us to be excited about what God has done, but more excited about what God can do. One of the things I love about the end of the year are the end of the year list. I am a sucker for a list. Like, you know what clickbait is on on uh, Internet? It's when they write a headline to get you to click, and then you click it, and it's not anything really that has substance to it. If there's a link in Facebook that says top nine this or best for this, I, I, I'll click on it all the time. Because I love I love the countdown nature of lists. Anybody else out there? Okay. I, mean, I just, I love that idea. I, I used to love um, uh, listening when I was growing up. Um, when I was growing up, we spent New Year's Eve at my grandmother's house. Because that's where all the things were happening. Right? And so we would spend it at my grandmother's house. My parents would go out. And I would get my Walkman. I mean, remember what a Walkman was? This was before it had cassette in it. It was just a radio with those those flimsy headphones, you know. There were no such thing as Beats back then. They were the flimsy stuff. And I would listen to Casey Kasem count down the top 40 songs of the year. Anybody remember that? Now, as it got towards the end of the 80s, something really special happened. They did a top 100 of the year. And I listened to the whole thing. That's how sad my life was at that moment. All 100. I listened to them. I remember specifically that that year. Why do you remember things like this? That the song Africa by Toto was really big that year, all right? And so I love lists. And so here's what I've done. I've made a list because here's what I want to do. I want us to look for just a moment because God's word tells us to do this, to look at what God has done. And then I want to reset and say, okay, what is God wanting to do? How do we step in? What are the ifs as a church if we're going to move forward? And so I I made a list of five things that I think we ought to celebrate about what God did in 2015. 
Five things that we ought to celebrate as a congregation that God did in 2015. All right, you with me? Okay, number five, here we go. The fifth thing, your generosity. Can I tell you something that's just amazing? All right. Um, Through budget giving, through building, uh, giving to our building fund and paying the debt off of what we did here a few years ago, and through uh, Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong, those are our four major kind of gift and offerings through the year, you gave well over $1.1 million to the work of this church. Amen? That is unbelievable. That is amazing. That is one of those numbers that, you know, when I was, you know, just um, anytime you cross the million dollar threshold, that's a big deal. But to see that number um, this week, um, Jana, who, who does our financial work, Jana Brooks, who's the secretary here, she started just sending me texts about um, what the kind of year end totals were. And I was just like, man, thank you. Lord, let me just tell you that last year the finance committee uh, took a step of faith and increased the budget fifty thousand dollars. So we're going to get into dollars and cents for just a minute. Just just bear with me. We we went from a budget of eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars to nine hundred thousand dollars. All right. That was, that was a step of faith. It was a step of, of, of wanting to see that we believe God was moving, good things were happening. I mean, there was a, there, two or three years ago, we weren't hitting 850000 at all. We weren't coming close. Maybe, there. Now, let me tell you, you can look in your order of service, but that number in there is not, not the full number because we got some money in after that number was put in the bulletin for the week. Last year, just to the budget, on a $900,000 budget, we took in $935,000. Now, this is why that's significant. Can I tell you something? We went over budget giving last year, and the treasurer of our church, who's been the treasurer of our church for longer than I've been alive, okay, said it's the last year was the first time in history we'd ever gone over budget in giving. That's two years in a row that your generosity in giving and being faithful to what the Lord has called us to do is showing up. Now let me tell you, God blesses people when they are generous with what. And it doesn't mean that you gave a hundred, you're going to get a thousand. Okay? It's not that. But your generosity is something for us to celebrate. Amen? Now here's the thing. Yeah, you can clap about that. That's good. Um, three of you did. That's good. Um, now, it's fifth on the list because there are more important things that happen, but that is a major accomplishment. Now, in the midst of that giving is something I think we celebrate even more that we pull out of that giving, and that is simply number four, which is Lottie. Okay, that's sure. That's what the kids call Lottie Moon. All right, just Lottie. Here's the thing. Lottie Moon is our giving to international missions, and this year I challenged us as a congregation to give more than we've ever given. I don't even know what the most we'd ever given was, but the most we ever gave after doing some research is $25,000. Uh, 100% of that goes to the International Mission Board, goes to missionaries overseas. It's just an amazing thought to think maybe we could hit twenty five. Last year was the biggest year we'd had in about five years, and we gave 10000 Okay. This year, you have given $39,000 to Lottie Moon. All right? Now, here's the thing. I don't know if you can do the quick math in your head, but that's like 160% of the most this church has ever given. And you did it this year, in a year when it's necessary because our mission board is bringing people back. 
And so I am praising God for our commitment to that. Amen. Third thing to celebrate our Acts 1 8 in action. I've been the pastor at this church for eight and a half years. Does this seem like eight and a half years? Some of you are like, yes. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> Some are like, no, that means I'm getting old. Yes, it does. All right. Um, Acts 1 8 in action. By the way, I'm, you know what a month from today is? 40 for me. I will turn 40 one month from today. Woo! That's not clapping. That's not clapping. That's, oh, what is that happening, right? I coughed last week and I've hurt for a week, all right? That's not good. Man, just, and since I came eight and a half years ago, we have talked about doing missions every year. That our goal as a congregation is every year to be doing missions locally. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, regionally, nationally, and internationally. And it took us several years to get to the point where we were doing that. But man, all the local stuff that's happening. A couple of weeks ago, we, we gave uh, presents to Mason's Motel, and we took care of kids at Madison Creek Elementary, and to see our youth taking the presents into down to Mason's, and the, the dinner that went with that, to hear about those stories of what happened there, and the, and the gift baskets that we did at Easter for those same people at Mason's, which is a desperately poor, desperately needy area. For many of you in this room, there are women that go every month, or at least give some time in the year, two or three, four or five times, to go to the next door ministry, and and down in downtown Nashville with women that are coming out of situations where they have been imprisoned or they are into um, addiction and you are helping them as they talk about a girl's night in and doing that and our help with the Goodlettsville Help Center and seeing how we help people in our community that are poor and, and just seeing the work that is done, G-Fuge that happens every year, that our youth serve our own church members but then others in the community. It is encouraging to see the local stuff that is happening, Meals on Wheels, that happens all every week and room at the end that is happening every Sunday night during the winter. And one of the things that happened with room at the end last year is that previously room at the end for us was almost always all men. And last year we became one of the places they said, Hey, would y'all take families? And the last time I talked to Sonny every week this year that we've had room at the end, we've had a family at least here for room at the end. And that is great work that we're doing locally. Not to mention the way we support crisis pregnancy centers and the way that we support. We have people working with Rescue One to help women that are in trafficking issues. I think about our work in the region, specifically in Lynch, Kentucky, and, and, and the Club 180 and the way that we fund many missions up there and the way that we have people that go on a regular trip up there into one of the poorest parts of the country and that they go in that area and they serve people there. The way that we have a, a church that has been planted out of ours in downtown Nashville through Ryan Cotney and the way that he is working through that and working there. Think about the regional impact. You think about the trip that I got to be a part of and going to Los Angeles, California, a place that is dark to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sharing the gospel with people that have never heard it that live right here in our country. Sharing the gospel with people that it may have heard it, but it's some form of it that really isn't the gospel. And to see a group of there, I remember talking to Robbie Pitt um, while we were out there, and you know he he confessed to being skeptical when Jeff brought the team out there last year. He said, "We we just don't do teenage teams. We we never had a teenage team, and we weren't real confident." He said, "It's one of my favorite teams we've ever had." And our group of people that continue to go to Brazil, 
and to serve internationally. Well, there are a lot of people that look at a church our size, and I don't know whether you know this, but in the Southern Baptist Convention, we're considered a large church. The average church, the most churches, a large majority of churches are under 200 people, and so we're considered a large church. But a church our size generally isn't as involved in all those aspects at once. But that's our commitment because that's what God's called us to do, and to see that is worth celebrating. Amen? Number two is just new people. Some of you are new. In fact, this is a big deal for this church. In the last few years, we had more people join than we had leave or die. Now, that's kind of crass to talk about, but right in this church, this church, when I came eight and a half years ago, the demographical nature of this church was we had I did lots of funerals. And what we've seen is we still do. I mean, we still have people that, and we're, we're, those people go on to glory and we, we, we are blessed to have the wisdom that we have through our senior adults in this church. But last year, by a long shot, we had more people join that le- than left. And it's good to have new people. We're so glad that some of you have decided in the last year to be a part of First Baptist Goodlettsville and to see that. We had close to 50 people join or almost one person a week joined here at First Baptist Goodlettsville. That's something to celebrate. In the midst of that, number one is we baptized 15 people last year. And so those are changed lives. 15 people. The number one thing we celebrate is the changed lives of people. 15 people, for the first time since their salvation, stepped into those baptismal waters and declared that they had been following Jesus Christ. Here's the cool thing about that to me, all right? If you look at all the statistics, they tell you that 90% of people that are baptized are 15 years or younger. In our church last year, that number, 15 years or younger, was somewhere around, uh, we had about half and half. We baptized almost as many adults and 18 and over as we did under 15. The Lord is moving and working. So we celebrate with the Lord what he did in 2015. It was a great year to be a part of First Baptist Goodlettsville. It's a great year to be a part of the community of faith that is right here in Goodlettsville, right here. And I believe that God's best days for us are still to come. And that's why I want to look forward to 2016 and say, so So, what do we do? What's the if in our life? What does it look like for us to move forward? I was reading a sermon this week because that's what I do on my downtime. That's what y'all do too, right? You just read sermons, right? I was reading a sermon, a guy named John Ortberg, who's a pastor out in um, California, has written a lot of books. I really enjoy his writing. And I was, I was reading a sermon he did, um, and the title of his sermon was Intercepting Entropy. That's the one you want to pull off the shelf, right? And he was talking to a leader of a Fortune 500 company named Max Dupree. And he said, what's the most difficult thing for you in business or leading, in leadership in general? What's the most difficult thing? And Max Dupree said, the most difficult thing for me is the interception of entropy. That's where he got the title. Now, this is it's science class time, all right? How many of you know what entropy is? Look in the back row. We got one in the back. All right. Is that Scott Harris back there? Is that who's? All right. How many? Scott, anybody else know what entropy is? Look, all right. Yeah. Daniel's kind of raising his hand a little bit like he doesn't want to admit it. All right. Here's entropy. All right. I don't really know. And if there's a physicist in the room that's just not raising your hand, are you really? Uh, here's the thing. Um, 
I'm not going to get the exact technical definition. Are y'all okay with that? Okay. Here's what entropy is. All right. Entropy is it's related in some ways to the second law of thermodynamics. Okay. So that clears it up for everybody. Um, The idea is that anything left to itself will naturally break down. That the general order of the universe is that things move from order to disorder. From order to chaos or from stability to instability. Okay, So for instance, as you grow older, your body naturally breaks down. Amen? Anybody experiencing that lately, right? It happens, right? Your body naturally breaks down. If you don't give attention to it, if you don't take care of it, it's not going to magically shape up, right? That in, in, in energy, that energy naturally goes away. The, the second law of thermodynamics is that, it, that the universe is kind of moving towards a place where energy is dissolving or collapsing. All right. Which side note for you. This is side note. Since we've delved this far into science, we might as well do this. All right. Um, it's always interesting to me that the people that claim entropy is true and that it is the way of the universe, that it naturally moves from order to disorder, from order to chaos, are the same people that, that would tell you that at some point back in the history of the universe, it decided to go from chaos to order. Like, you know, that it went from nothing to life. Side note, some of you will never get that. That's all right. All right. So he says, here's what he says. All right. Let's pull it back together. That the natural order of things is when left uncared for, when left to be normal, when left status quo, nothing ever stays status quo. It naturally dissolves or it naturally deteriorates. Now, here's what my challenge is to us as a church. My challenge to us is to not just settle for what's been a good year and say, let's just keep going like we've been going. Because the natural order of things is, if we do that, what happens? It deteriorates. And so what I want to do in the next 45 to 50 minutes is to say, what what are we doing? What are we about? How can we, what's the if for our church to make sure that we keep the momentum going and we move forward? And I want to base it on my life verse and a verse that I've preached on at this church almost every year that I've been here. But it is the verse that I revolve my life around, and it's Isaiah 26, 8. And this is what Isaiah 26, 8 says. Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your truth, we wait for you. For your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. And the idea in this verse for me, what, what it tells me is, first of all, we have to be willing to do whatever the Lord asks us to do and simply say yes. Any other word, we talk about this every time we look at this verse, any other word there beside yes, no, someday, sometime, maybe, could be, any other word there negates the word Lord and is not true. You can't say sometime, Lord, or maybe, Lord, or no, Lord, or I'll think about it, Lord, because then it means he's not Lord. Yes, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, wherever you want me, whatever you want me to do, whatever it is you're calling me, walking in the ways of your truth, that means I'm following what you want me to do. I'm waiting for you by doing what you've already told me to do. I'll do whatever because your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. My goal in 2016 is that the Lord's name and the Lord's renown 
would be the desire of our souls as a church. There's nothing that we could aim higher than his name. Now, we understand name, your reputation, Lord, that people would know who you are, that people would understand what you're about. The word renown is one of those words we don't use a lot, but it means kind of the echoing, reverberating understanding of the goodness and the greatness of our God. We want his name and his renown to echo through the nations. I was... uh, Watching some coverage, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I like Tennessee football, right? So I was watching the bowl game coverage, all that was happening, and Tennessee went to the Outback Bowl in Tampa, and it was kind of bittersweet because they won, and you got to get a free blooming onion, and the Outback here's burned up, and so we couldn't go get a blooming onion yesterday. It's worse for Outback because they burned up, but I mean, we couldn't get our blooming onion. But here, here's what I thought was interesting, all right? So I, I followed I followed lots of Tennessee writers and all that, but I've also followed some Northwestern. That's who they were playing, writers. And they kept talking about the number of Tennessee fans in Tampa compared to Northwestern. It was a huge difference. And then I saw that Northwestern came and entered, and they had like a 1,000 people out there wishing them, you, good to see you, glad you're here, you're coming in. Then they showed a picture, a video, if you will. That's what it was. Of Tennessee's buses coming to the stadium. And as they showed the buses on the road going this way, the stadium was here. There was a line of orange wrapping all the way around to where they got off the exit. 15, 20, 25, 30,000 people waiting on a bus. And I'm just sitting there thinking, what in the world's going on? I mean, I know they did this last year in Jacksonville. There's this idea that, that Tennessee fans have suddenly decided they're going to take over a town when they go to a bowl. Now, part of that's because we weren't very good for a few years. and We didn't go to bowls. This is the second, first time we've gone to back-to-back in a long time. And so they have this whole thing. And then I realized, I was studying this passage and I was thinking about it. What's happening here is those fans want everybody in the country to know Tennessee football is important. They want the renown of volunteer nation to resound throughout and people to go, look at how many people care about Tennessee football. My goal, I like Tennessee football. I do. But my goal in life is not to make people understand the greatness of Tennessee football. My goal in life is to make people understand the greatness of the God that I serve. And his renown is the desire of my soul. Our purpose statement here as a church comes directly out of this verse. And it says we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We exist to glorify God. And the way that we glorify God, we give him the praise, the honor, the glory, and all of that, is that we lead people to be passionately, not half-hearted, not a little bit committed, not a couple hours a week committed, not I'll do that if it's convenient committed, but passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Four things that I think we can do, that if, if we will do this as a church, if we will, that God has got an amazing 2016 ahead of us. Four things. Number one, we worship more passionately. Worship more passionately. When it says that in Isaiah 26, 8, that his name and his renown are the desire of our souls, that starts by it being the desire of our souls to give him praise and honor and mercy and that we give him the, all the things that he is worthy of receiving. And there is no one 
nothing that is worthy of the praise that is due to our God. And that we worship him with everything that we have, that we go all in in giving praise and honor and glory to our God. My favorite worship story in the whole Bible is is about a marital conflict. That seems kind of weird. But there's this story in 2 Samuel where David has been, he has captured the ark of the Lord. And this has been something that had been taken from them, and the Philistines had gotten it. And David goes and he takes it back from them. And it's a joyous day in Israel. The ark of the covenant is back, right? The ark of the Lord is here. And they bring it back into Jerusalem. And as they do, it says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, now you remember who Saul was, right? He was the king that the Lord rejected, watched from a window. First of all, let's just say she's not in the midst of it. She's too good for that. She's at a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, I don't know if you know this or not, but apparently David was not a Baptist. David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she rejoiced that her husband was worshiping the Lord. Is that what it says? She despised him in her heart. Now, this is one of those things. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but but I've heard about this. Okay, where maybe you and your spouse are together and. You were doing something you think you're really proud of. You're excited about what's happening. Then you glance over at your spouse and they're giving you that look like, what in the world are you doing? You ever had that? <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Lisa's like, yes, he has, because I've given him that look. Right? See, David is in joy. It's great. And then she looks down. She's like, what is he doing? A little farther in Second Samuel chapter 6, it says this. When David returned to bless his household, now that means different, something different than some people think. I'm going to bless them out. That's not what that means, all right? He's coming to bless it. Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. She didn't hold back, did she? What are you thinking, she says. That's ridiculous what you just did out there. Half naked, dancing in the street. You're better than that. You're the king. Quit. Look at David's response. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. Then he digs at her a little bit too here. Who chose me rather than your dad or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. And then he says this, one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. When's the last time? Because of your overarching joy with the Lord that you were undignified or humiliated. When was the last time that you worshipped the Lord in a way that you didn't care what people thought? One of the things that I know to be sure, that I know to be true, is that God will not honor a people who hold back from him the worship that is due his name. And there are lots of Sundays when this church 
when we reserve, hold back the glory and the honor due his name because we're worried what people think. Or we're not prepared to come into this place and to worship him. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. What he says to her is, listen, you're worried about the slave girls. You're worried about what people think. I'm worried about what my God thinks. And I'm worried that I am giving him the praise and the honor that is due his name. Some of you in this room need to, in 2016, we as a church need to release ourselves from the shackles of people's impressions and give the praise and honor and glory due to the name of the one who is over all. We need to worship more passionately. Second thing, we need to pray more fervently. We need to be a people of prayer. Now, I, I, don't, I don't fully understand, and if I did, I, I would have the jump on 2,000 years of Christian history. I don't fully understand how the sovereignty of God and the free will of man intersect. That our God is able to do anything absolutely that he wants to do. He has the power and the ability and the desire to do anything that he wants. And yet scripture teaches over and over again, he waits on his people to pray to move. And if we want to see God move in 2016 at First Baptist Goodlessville, we have to become a people of prayer. One of the most famous ifs in all the Bible comes in Second Chronicles 7.14 and it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin. And heal their land. And listen, I want to tell you this. This verse is not primarily about what it will take to get America on the right track again. That's not what this verse is about. You hear that sometimes, like America, we've got to make America great again. Or we've got to get America back on the right track. But we've got to be people that will humble themselves. That's not what this passage of Scripture is about. This is about God's people coming back to the Lord and Him restoring His church that are His people. And He says that a vital part of that is prayer. Now, let me just tell you, for some of you, praying fervently mean you hadn't been praying at all, and so you need to add five minutes to your day. There may be some of you in here that are praying for an hour. For you, it may mean that you're adding 15 to 30 minutes. Or you're praying in a different direction and for different needs and for different understandings. But if we want to see God move, we've got to be people of prayer. Over the last few months, as we've talked about the direction of the church and where God's leading us and next steps and those kind of things, as a staff, we're just convinced that prayer has to be a major part of that. And so there are going to be opportunities that we're going to be introducing and we're looking for opportunities for you to participate in prayer. Third, if we're going to see God move, we've got to worship passion, we've got to pray fervently, and we have to proclaim more boldly. We've got to be willing to just tell people who Jesus is, what he's about. They're not going to know about his name and his renown unless we speak it. We cannot rely on the world to tell them for us. Amen? That's one of the responsibilities that we have as the people of God is to proclaim him more boldly. I love what happens in the book of Acts. Look at this verse with me, this passage. 
This is in Acts chapter 4. The church is just getting started. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The thing that I love about the book of Acts, if you read through the book of Acts over and over and over again, they consistently talk about the boldness they had. In fact, just a few verses up from this in this passage, it says when they heard their boldness, they said there's something different about these men. I want to tell you that as a church and as Christians in America, we have lost our understanding of what boldness means. It means to speak under the authority of the Spirit of God, the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are going to have to become more and more bold in the year and the years ahead. If we're going to be what God calls us to be, we've got to begin to speak more boldly. And here's the last thing, and then we're done. We need to learn to live more sacrificially. And all that stuff I told you about the... the the money that was given and the time that was given through those mission trips and projects, that's, that's great. But if we're going to see God really move, we've got to learn to live more sacrificially in general. Two ways that specifically I'm thinking, first of all, is financially. We've got to learn to, to give. Listen, our, that, that amount of money that we got for last year was amazing. The budget for next year is going to be another challenging budget. It's not going to be at 900. Again, it's going to be a challenging budget. We're going to discuss that. Um, deacons are having their meeting next week, not tonight. If you're a new deacon or you're still on the deacon board, we're not meeting tonight. Meeting next week, discuss the budget. The week after that, the plan is for us as a church to discuss it and then vote on it the next week. So it's coming, and it's a challenging budget. It's not challenging if you just do financial stuff, but it's challenging because we're asking people to give more sacrificially. So maybe you, you've not been giving at all and you want to begin to think about doing that and you want to give sacrificially. For you, maybe that, that's an extra hundred or maybe that's a two percent of your budget. For some of you, maybe you're here and you're tithers. You've been doing that for years. But for you, sacrificially means 15 or 20 percent. And then the second way that we have to live more sacrificially is just in time commitment. Um, last week, we weren't here. I'm so appreciative to Alan and Keith, who led in our combined worship service, we Susan and I and the kids went to uh, a church in Coleman, Alabama. My nephew's 25 years old. He's a worship leader at a church in Coleman, Alabama. They have five worship services on Sunday, and he leads every one of them. He's 25. That's why he can do that, right? Leads them all. And we went there. It's funny, on the way down there, Ava, who's three and runs our household, um, if you know Ava, that's true. She on the way down there, she kept saying, "Hey, this is not the way we go to church. This is this take too long to go to church. We just go to our church. Like it's just down the road." So we we drove two and a half hours. We got there, and we were talking to Caleb afterwards. And I was talking to him about the church and how they a church is only five or six years old. They're in five services, doing great. God's really using them, really impacting the community. And he said, "Well, one of the things to be a member at our church, you have to go to. We expect every week you are attending a service." And you're serving during a service. So you attend and you serve an hour. Their services are an hour long. You do both of those every Sunday. Can I just be real honest with you? If First Baptist Goodlitzville, I believe God has some great things in store for us. I believe that God has people that he's going to bring. I believe there are great days ahead. But if we are going to reach what God intends for us to reach, it's going to mean you serving where God calls you to serve. For the size church we are, you have a small staff. 
You have two full-time paid ministerial staff members. I say full-time paid because we have lots of people doing part-time pay that are doing full-time work. Jeff and I are the only two full-time ministerial staff. We have others that are doing dual positions or others that are doing other things. But for a church our size, that's a small staff. And the only way we've been able to grow and see God move is that we've been able to do that because you have responded and that you are stepping up. But what we have to do is more. We're going to need more Sunday school classes in the year ahead, and God's going to call some of you to be a part of that and to serve in that thing. And it's going to be a sacrifice. I don't know that if I'm, if I'm doing Sunday school, that means I can't just decide to miss on a Sunday. Yeah. We need people here every Sunday that are helping people park. We need people that are here welcoming and greeting people as they're coming in. Uh, studies out there say that some people, in fact, it's a high percentage of people, determine whether they're going to return to a church before they get out of the car in the parking lot. People being receptive, showing them where to go. You think, well, they ought to know where to go. If you've never been here before, no clue where you go. Without people saying, I'll be willing to lead or be a part of or set that up. We need to do more outreach in the community that we're here, sharing the gospel of Jesus with them. We've got people that are saying, I'm ready to step up, but we're going to need others to step up. If First Baptist Goodlessville is going to be what God intends for it to be, if it's going to be what God intends for it to be, we're going to have to live more sacrificially. So that's there. There it is. Four things. If we're going to be all that God calls us to be, we're going to have to learn to worship more passionately, to pray more fervently, to proclaim more boldly, and to live more sacrificially. And the simple question is, are you willing to do that? Let's pray to God.